Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Nightcap on 1140 The Bet. Your home for news and insider info on your Vegas Golden Knights and the NHL. Here's your host, Lindsey Brown. And making a triumphant return to the nightcap, myself, Lindsay Brown, your host, always and forever. And joining me today, the close, the most personal of friends, and a man who has acquired several new ones as of late, Mr. Michael McKenna. Where am I in this ranking of your friend group right now? I need to know since you started at, what is it called? You're in the inner circle. You're- yes! <laughs> yes! The circle of trust, we call it. The guild. The tree of trust, the trust tree. Yeah, yeah, man. It's You know, it's funny because it's like we've done these things. We've done these interviews, these talks, these podcasts when I've been in St. Louis previously. But it kind of feels different now because I'm not in Vegas mm. like I had been, you know, for the regular season and for playoffs for such a great majority of it. But still feel just in tune with that, just as in tune with the Vegas Golden Knights, even though I'm not boots on the ground. Well, you you'll know better than me. How much information do you really glean from this preseason from games? I usually don't take the performance. I'm looking for the tools. I'm looking for how guys are reading situations. But how how is that experience for you? Because you've been through a few NHL camps yourself. Yeah, you can't really read too far into a season. You know, you'll see teams that drop four straight in preseason. They flip the switch the moment the regular season goes. But like you said, I think you're looking for little nuggets from all the players. You're trying to find out who's added elements to their game, who's become more responsible, which young guys have a skill set that stands out to you. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm thinking last night I'm watching the Devils play and, you know, watching Mercer on that team and how skilled he is and he can shoot the puck and he's good and tight. And I'm thinking he might make a difference this year. So a lot of times you're not really looking to the veteran players and combinations. You're really more looking to the young players that you haven't seen a lot of figuring out where they're going to slot in the lineup. If they're going to slot in the lineup, you know, what might be a good fit for them? They're fun introductory times, Mm -hmm. but for the players that are regulars in the national hockey league, it's all about getting your feet back underneath you, getting your reps in and just making sure that you're back into the mindset and the mind frame of being ready to dial in with system work and video and everything that your coaches are asking of you. 
And it's going to vary from team to team. Some teams have more spots to compete for. The Golden Knights are definitely not one of those organizations at this current point of time. That top six is super set, and we're going to get into a lot of those details about that. But the name that is most associated with being a potential lineup cracker is Peyton Krabs. And we've discussed him a lot on uh, on our show on the Playmakers this week, Mike. And over the last uh, few weeks, you and I watched him in, in brief brief time uh what was it may april when they were playing when he before he broke his face what, under yeah. what circumstances do you think the vegas golden knights top brass say peyton crabs you're on this team like what does he need to show and where do they put him it's a great question because it feels like Krebs came into camp with a leg up pre- on previous young hockey player contenders to grab a spot with that team think about cody glass the Golden Knights really didn't want to promote him before he was ready or put him into a situation where they thought he wasn't going to be as successful as possible. Started him on the wing, third line, got a little bit of center here and there. And no matter how high of a prospect Krebs seems to be leading the Western Hockey League in scoring last year, having a cameo with the team, uh, there was talk that Krebs would have been a factor in playoffs last year had he been healthy. Um, I think he's got a decent shot at sticking at the opening night lineup. I just don't know where that's going to be. What's it going to take for Peyton Krebs to show that he can play down the middle in the National Hockey League as a, as a rookie? I'm not sure what that's going to look like. It's not easy to do, and there's been a real hesitancy among uh, VGK management to put people into those roles without them having some time building up to it. But eventually you've got, to let the, you've got to let them go. You've got to let the kids play where they need to go uh, and to see what you have. So... You know, for Krebs, I, to me, I, I think he's got a great chance at opening day roster. I just don't know where it looks like. I mean, Lindsay, you probably have mm-hmm. a better idea of what you think. Is he going to fit better on the wing? Is he going to fit better at center? Does he fit best in the National League? Or mm-hmm. is the American League even in the question? I'm not sure. I think he's ready to go. He's one person that I would give an opportunity to. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm going to make a comparison to Mark Stone here, and I'm not the only one in this town that's doing that. But just in terms of like the motor and what you see from him in terms of his intensity and his intentionality when he's skating around on the ice, it's it's something special. It's something that you don't see a lot from guys his age, let alone guys at all in general. And I'm I'm kind of grappling with that same question too because I I, I think they. They slow rolled, rolled Cody Glass, but at the, they also put him on the power play and with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty to start out, uh, I think, one of the seasons in the last couple of years. And then he got banged up and injured, and it kind of went down the tubes then. But uh, Krebs has to give me a reason to be up there, and I don't really want him playing wing. Like, if they want the – centers are harder to find, so let's make sure we develop a guy who has that skill set to be a difference maker at that position. And if he gives me a reason to put him on a line with Mark Stoner in that top six, then i got to give it to him. But anything below that, I'd probably want him playing in the A because I want him to dominate at that level and what we want him to bring to the, to the big club for the foreseeable future. I think with Krebs, it's the part that's so intriguing is that he does have a responsibility to his game. Mm-hmm. You know, he exactly. looks like he's he looks like he's wise beyond his years in terms of his routes and his sense of where he needs to be on the ice. And you know, Pete DeBoer and the crew will talk about how every forward on the team can be a centerman and it can be a winger. It just depends who's F one, who's F two. Yeah, we're just but hockey players, Mike, right? <laughs> yeah, but there's still responsibility yes. on the sunrise position here. This is why they're coveted. You know, it's not you can't just dumb it down to that and say everybody's a forward. Mm-hmm. Centermen are at a premium. And I just like I like Krebs because I think he 
he has such a desire to have the puck on his stick and he hounds it like crazy. He's not a big player, mm-hmm. but he's got that drive. That's what Cody Glass didn't have. Cody Glass wasn't willing to go after the puck in the short time that we saw him as a Golden Knight mm-hmm. or as a Henderson Silver Knight. It just didn't develop for him. And again, it's crazy that we're talking about a 20 or 22 year, 22 or 23 year old player, right. but you see it in Krebs. Yes. And when he Krebs checks, he checks, he goes to the right spot. When Krebs needs to take an extra second to evaluate split second, he takes it and makes a smart decision. There's a hockey IQ level there that goes along with the desire and the willingness to put himself in position to have the puck on his stick. That's why I think he's got a legit chance. I, I think that if his playmaking skill can be on par with what he's done in previous leagues, he's got a chance at playing center in the national and doing it sooner than we might think. I, I, I agree. I mean, even when I was watching the the Knights kind of put in some power play time and obviously not everybody was available. Shea Theodore's banged up, Brady McNabb's banged up. And so, and they were practicing with some of the the Henderson guys that are still up at camp. And he was just rolling down the wall, going ta- down towards the goal line, Mike. And I'm seeing, seeing him shimmy his hips back and forth while protecting the puck. I'm like, this guy shouldn't have this move in his, in his uh, tool belt here, at least at this age, considering his size. But as you said, he doesn't back down. I think there's a huge difference difference between players who take the puck to the net and players that get the puck to the net. And your point to go to Cody Glass uh, reminds me of something that I think you said to me in the last couple of years where we were watching him at practice one day and it was just, you know, warm up shots like we're, we're working on it. You don't really expect anything to it, but you expect players to take in, take the puck and then take an intentional shot. And he was just kind of flinging it as he was going over the blue line. Like that's not what this team needs. This team needs personalities that say hell or high water. I'm getting to like you said the point on the ice that I need to be. I think they need some assertiveness. That's been missing. I love that word, Mike. I've been using it all week and I've been using it to talk about, well, your guy, Nolan Patrick, to be honest. (laughs) My old teammate. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, assertiveness is something that has been missing for the golden Knights at times Mm -hmm. up front. And, you know, you, you play so regimented that at times you forget, you got to go get that puck and you got to make it happen. Yep. You know, and, you know, I felt like last season there were lulls where it just wasn't there, and I think it eventually played out, right? A slow start doesn't get you going, come, come back kids. Like, you need to be good for the whole 60. Right. And they, they didn't come in waves the way they needed to. When you're assertive on the puck and you want it on your stick, things happen. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that for a young player, that's a hard mental position to be in because you don't want to come in headstrong and be a puck hound. and You, you want to learn from the veterans and – let them guide earn your you stickers in. on the helmet, right? You got to block yeah. your shots. You got to fill up some but, water bottles. You got to pick up a couple of pucks when you're not supposed to. Yeah, but the flip side to that is that if you don't make the league by the time you're 22, you're probably not going to the way the world works now. Sure. So, like, you got to ride that balance, but you got to be able to have the confidence to go after what you want. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, young players that have filtered in with the Golden Knights, there hasn't been many. We haven't seen the draft picks come through yet because it's still a young franchise. You're still on the cusp of that, mm. but you will start seeing more of it. You know, with Zach Whitecloud, when he came up, you know, he wasn't a total game changer, but he fit right in as a five, six, because he was assertive in how he played. He was confident in his game and, and that made a difference for him. And I think that might be a bit of a difference. Why Nick Haig took a little longer. He didn't have that same confidence or assertiveness or belief in the system yet because he was still learning it. And it took a little bit longer for him to get to that stage, but he is now. 
So everybody learns at a different pace. But when you get those young prospects that can do it right off the bat, Mm -hmm. that's a special quality. And sometimes that's just uh, whether you've had the luck of the draw to be developed in your body, you know, for a long time or if you're still trying to get used to it. I mean, you and I have talked about Nick Hag and just how long he is and how teams were taking advantage of him last year, uh, dumping the puck in and then going right at him when he was trying to break it out and he would panic and end up taking him down. It's like you can get taken advantage of like this if you aren't fully settled, if the, if the game hasn't slowed down for you upstairs. And that's, like you said, to, to put all of this on the plate of these young prospects and to have the, the half-life or, or shelf-life of their, of their uh, chance to make the league, it, it's just so tough. And so I want to kind of spin off of this and start talking a little bit about the goaltending situation here and, and specifically about Robin Leonard because there's been a lot of talk this week about him cutting weight and, and, and what that means and he's not worried about it and... To be honest, I'm slightly worried about it, Mike. And it's not because I no. he has less he's he's taking up less of the net. I'm worried about this because of the style that he plays and that when someone uh has so much of their butterfly deep like he does, it the weight management above your skates is so important and that can be really thrown off if you're dropping a good amount of weight in a short amount of time. I agree with you, Lindsay, and I've got a direct relation to this. When Robin and I were teammates in Binghamton, New York, in the Senators organization, he dropped, I don't know how much, but a significant amount of weight during the season. And it didn't go great. You know, it was hard to find the consistency to his game at that stage. And, you know, that's not a great comparison because that was in season. It wasn't mm-hmm. leading up to a season. Robin knows what his body is at now. He knows how it can perform. And that's what you're hoping for is that during training camp and the time leading up to it that he's now adjusted his timing and his balance and his goalie posture mm-hmm. to that difference in weight. And you hope for that to be a benefit. You know, Maybe Robin's a bit faster this year. Maybe he's able to rotate a little bit. We don't know. Sometimes people play best at a weight that you wouldn't expect. Maybe Robin Leonard's best game is at 270 pounds. We don't know the answer to that. Only he does, and we'll see that play out. But what I look in Robin's career is how consistent he's been. Everywhere he's been, different goalie coaches, good teams, bad teams. He's put up numbers. Um, I I would trust in in his own knowledge of his game and his body at this stage to know what's best for it. Um, I do think it's ridiculous, though, for people to point out he's not as big in the net because of this. That's totally false. You know right. how this works, Lindsay. When one of us loses 20 pounds or so, we lose it at our waist, and the barrel goes away, mm-hmm. and the equipment was taking up that space anyway. Robin Leonard is so big in the net because he has outstanding goalie posture, and he's usually square to the play because he minimizes his movements and doesn't have to travel as far. Right. And because his posture is so good, it, he presents big. It's not about his physical girth not about the size of his equipment. It's how he stands in the net, how he brings it, how he presents his hands, how his shoulders are. Mm-hmm. He takes full advantage of the frame that he has. So I'm curious to see how it plays for him this year, being a, an unchallenged number one. He's finally got what he's craved all along. He's got that you know, desire to go out and prove everybody. Chip on your shoulder. I'm the guy, and I can do this. I think it's an exciting time for Robin Leonard. 
I mean, he he would say that he's not the unchallenged number one, though. Like, he's going with the mentality like so many of us haven't played as goaltenders of just you have to compete day in and day out for that job, for every puck to be totally honest. And and I think that's, that's probably a micromanagement, and that's a necessity in many ways just for survival. And I, I chalk up, and while he hasn't told me this, I chalk up his reasoning for, for to cut some weight uh, outside of the fact that he's like, I'm 30, I want to be be around to play for a long time. I'm guessing he spent some time with Flurry la- at last couple of years I was like, holy crap, look at what this guy's capable of and look at the the shape that he keeps himself in because you know how those butterfly up-downs go. Every one of them is counted, but the bill is not due for a long time. And just a couple of pounds off of that can really help a guy like uh, Leonard and his durability. You really you yep. really think Brassois is, uh, is a consummate backup, like just total 1B? Because I've really liked what I've seen from him in camp just – uh, technique-wise, how he played the other night? Well, I think that Brassois is in a great spot. Obviously, being a Golden Knight is a good thing. The teams, by all means, should be solid this year and should contend and should be at the top of the division. But I've liked Brassois since the first time I saw him. We were AHL All-Stars together, and I thought, man, this guy's got great structure, but he's got some athleticism to it on top of it. I like how his game's built. And he just got churned up by that auto, by the Edmonton organization where they went through you know, 20 goalies in about three years, it felt like. Um, and I think that his game continued to grow in Winnipeg. I think going to Vegas for Brassois is a good fit because – He'll probably play a little bit more than he did behind Connor Hellebuck. Yep. Hellebuck would just eat games left and right, and I would expect Brassois to play a decent amount in Vegas. And I think what that's going to do for him is hopefully up his stock a little bit. No one's really looked at him as a potential starter. He's been a backup type of guy. Even if he only, even if he plays 25, 30 games, but if he does it lights out on a really good club, he's creating value for himself. You know, I think he reads the play well. I think he has a nice game structure and that he doesn't get outside of his his posts he plays pretty controlled this is true yeah and that's a nice match for robin leonard too because you've got two goalies that can kind of look at each other in the mirror and practice and see what one another's doing in that way that's a nice fit and you know you also have to look at logan thompson who's waiting in the wings he's reigning ahl goalie of the year He's got some things to do to be best at the NHL to make it work for him. But you got to think, if Logan Thompson rips up the American League again yeah. and, Laurent, and Laurent Brassois has a nice year, he's got one year left on his contract for Brassois. Brassois becomes a nice a nice trade chip. You get a little return the on The Jack him. Campbell plan, you say. That's exactly what L.A. did for years. Martin Jones, mm-hmm. Jack Campbell, Peter Budai. You want to go down the list. Nashville did it for a bunch of years with goalies. This is why you develop goalies, Lindsay, because even if they don't end up on your club long-term, they are tangible assets. They are valuable. And one that you can completely, uh, basically fold people over a barrel on it. And and you mentioned the Oilers organization that seemingly had a bunch of good goalies, but they weren't good enough to actually keep them within that organization. You pay such a premium down the road to try to bring in that that big-time free agent like they swung at Jakob Markstrom a couple years ago. You miss, and then you end up having to pay more to uh, fortify defense in other places, making up for the fact that, well, I guess we'll just go back to Mike Smith again. And no offense, I mean, he had good stretches last year, but at some point, if I'm Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisel and whoever else they have up there, I'm just like, at any point, are we going to address this? Like, at any point at all. Um, but I, 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 I'm in lockstep with you on, on your Brassois and, and Thompson because they remind me a lot of each other in terms of their uh, explosivity from their post to post. 
Uh, I like Brossois because he plays it a little bit more compact, but and can over rotate a little bit. But I, I agree with you, Thompson. And based off of what I've seen in him in camp, he's looking damn good right now. Yeah. Well, Thompson to me is so intriguing because the athleticism of him is really high, mm-hmm. and you can't teach that. You know, it's something that Mark Andre has in spades that we always marveled at. And for Thompson, his ability to translate to the NHL, he's still on a path here. Okay, he's only two, he's only a year less than a year removed from playing in the ECHL, mm-hmm. and a year and two years removed from playing in Canadian college hockey. You know, there's a lot of runway here, but his natural ability is what's carried him. There's room for him to be able to streamline his game, to be able to take more pucks on his chest, to be able to present bigger, to be able to minimize movements. So There's a gap out in the net for that, Mike. He stands a little deep yeah. for that. You know, it's all arms and legs yep. for, for Logan Thompson. Mm. And you flip that around to Laurent Bossois, who plays a little bit deeper most of the time, and he's got some time to react, and he's nice and compact. Kind of different goalies. But, man, if I had to choose between two goalies, I definitely take somebody for the long haul that has that natural explosiveness and try to build it into the structure that I would want as a goalie coach. How would you do that? Repetition. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Don't give away all the the entire uh, treasury there. We got to make sure we well, have that future alternative plan in case this daily face-off thing doesn't work out, which I'm sure, based off of what I've heard all of your new friends, is going to go very, very yeah, well. well you know what, Lindsay? I'm also officially the volunteer goalie coach of St. Lawrence University, so I've got. I guess I'm double dipping here, uh, but voluntary means that there's no payment for that. Which you're is a man quite of fine. many talents. It's my alma mater. But no, if you're trying to rein somebody in, it comes through repetition. But it also, you have to show them why. You can't just tell them how, or this is what you need to know, do. You need to show them why. You've got to show them clips of NHL goaltenders that are in control, that make the game easy. And then you have to translate it on the ice to show them your back leg has to come at the same time as your front leg. You Mm -hmm. can't have gaps between your knees. Your torso needs to be upright. It has to fill space. You need to look at yourself in the mirror. You need to look at your goalie partner. You have to teach a goaltender to be their own best goalie coach so that when they watch their video, they know, ah, I know exactly why that happened, and I can fix it tomorrow. And then as the goalie coach, all you're doing is providing them the tools for that to happen. That's when you get somebody who's really on the next level, and they're able to play at the National League level. Hmm. It's such an interesting uh, timeline that we've been witness to and that you've been a part of, uh, at least in the NHL and the AHL League, of just the transformation of the of the goalie position, not just the way that it's played, but the way that it's coached, the way that it's looked at, and just the depth and the and the attention. And still, so many teams are very much behind. I know we talk about your your children of the corn grouping that that you have. We have Ian Clark. You have all of these people. And when you were talking to all of your your friends and contacts in the league over the offseason, we're all looking for those tinkering uh, elements. Uh, you used the word earlier, streamline, because we got those reps to get in, and we don't want to. We want to make sure we're not taking the wrong ones. What what's the cutting edge that guys are looking at right now in terms of how to make their game more efficient? Well, I think for a lot of goalies, you're looking at. And they're looking for outside-the-box stuff. They're looking at virtual reality to help them with things. And, and oh, my God, Mike. Could you imagine you know, if we had that? So <laughs> they're, they're looking for these things that are kind of extraneous and outside-the-box. When You know, I think a lot of it, 
the, the cutting edge thing for goaltending in the NHL is actually less is more, and it's, it's bringing your movements in and learning to be confident while playing in the blue paint. That's cutting edge, believe it or not. It used to be that you needed to be as far out of the net as you possibly could. Mm-hmm. Plant those wheels. Get ready for that shot. Challenge the shooter. Well, when you get that far out of your net, you don't have time to react anymore as hard as the puck's coming. So you're taking away reaction time, and you're making it harder to stay on angle as the players move laterally because you have to cover more ground. Mm. So what you're seeing with Robin Leonard being deeper and other goaltenders that are doing similar and across the league in the NHL, if you watch their clips, there's very few goalies that play outside of the crease any longer. They've brought it back inside because they trust their positioning and they also trust their post integration so much that when the puck gets close to the goal line, they know that they can use posts as bumpers to stay in the middle, to protect the middle of the net, because they've all looked at the stats. And the stats still say, no matter how good shooters have become, no matter how they can pick corners on clean shots, the majority of the goals still go in the middle of the net. They go in the middle of the net when the goalie's out of position, Mm -hmm. when there's a rebound, and if you're closer to home, You've got a chance of getting back to the middle and making that safe. Now, Lindsay, doesn't it sound insane for me to say you have to protect the middle of the net to be a good goaltender? <laughs> <laughs> Some deep insight, a real, a real dive into the uh, into the annals of the of the knowledge that we have acquired over our careers and and the many that have come before us. It's interesting that you say that because then you have all right. So if goalies are staying more centralized in their crease, that means the forwards have to create more extreme angles, and this really is a great way to kind of lead back to the the Golden Knights and. I think an adjustment they're attempting to make on their power play, which was so stagnant last year, is something that you and I discussed at length and harped on over and over again. And when things aren't going well, you return to the fundamentals. So where do you go when the fundamentals aren't going well either? Well, you take a break. They've done so. They've brought in Dodonoff. They they brought in Nolan Patrick. And I was seeing a lot of motion uh, yesterday during practice through that very middle of the ice. And I want to ask you, is it to create confusion? Is it to, to push those penalty killers down low? Because once I saw that happening, I noticed Max Pacioretty, well, you're usually on the face-off dot for your one-timer, but now you're more towards the bottom of the circle. That's an interesting adjustment that you intentionally made. That's probably going to result in more goals, right? Well, I, I think it's important for the Golden Knights to try to create more from the soft slot area, from the flanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, than they did as much previously last year. So much of their power play became funnel from the point and hope. Yep. And that's what it translated to in the postseason when people were, when, vote, when opposing teams were clogging the middle of the ice, it turned into funnel pucks from the outside and hope. And the hard part for the Golden Knights is that they were a rush team last season. They didn't want to admit it, but they were a rush team. That's where most of their goals came from. So manufacturing goals was not happening. And how do you do that? You don't do it by floating pucks from the blue line. Yeah, you can have good things happen that way. Mm -hmm. But you've got to be able to get the puck moving so quickly and the players moving so quickly that the opposing club cannot create. They can't seal those lanes. And that's where adding firepower like Donov and, and, and I think potentially Krebs, you know, with a little bit of creativity, you've got to be able to rip scenes. You've got to get pucks through quick. But you need players that are willing to move their feet to do that. Get that roll going. Get down low. And you did see a little bit of time last year where it worked where Mark Stone, when he started to play the front of the net, it wasn't just because Mark Stone was in front of the net tipping pucks and getting rebounds. It's because he was also rolling off to the corner mm-hmm. and he was receiving passes and feeding pucks to the middle. And he was able to create some lanes through movement. 
And that's where I think you're going to look for the Golden Knights to improve. Like you said, it's getting players in motion, but it's trying to get the pucks through the middle of the ice across that middle Royal road, that line in the middle of the slot, right? Make the D work, make them turn. You know, if they just have to front pucks, life's pretty easy for D. They're willing to eat at the NHL level. Right. But if they can't get there in time, that's when it gets really tough. Exactly. That slash and dash and having some of those those uh, passes that they, they can rip across, you know how tough it is to not just try to get across your net, but to get across your net and do that uh, and change your depth at the same time. It's just such a tough ask for the goaltenders. And you're right, D will absolutely go block shots. Just go ask Alec Martinez how that goes and how he's benefited from all the great strides you've made in technology for blocking shots. But when it comes to that motion, when it comes to that confusion, I think that benefits, you know, the guy on the point the most, that would be Shea Theodore. Whereas I would think Petrangelo, if they're going to keep those two guys up at the top, he benefits more from a fixed position type of power play. Do you think the Golden Knights would be willing to have to like an umbrella and a reverse umbrella, or do you think they streamline across? This is the this is our power play. This is what we run. Yeah, that's hard to gauge because it, I mean, to me, Petrangelo is best when he's pounding the puck from up top. Exactly. I think he's a one timer guy, and if he's not not one timing it from the center of the ice, you're hoping that he's diving down low on the backside to get pucks off. And that's a different look than it is we've seen with the Golden Knights. We haven't seen those two mesh up yet. I think it's difficult to be able to run two power plays that are structured differently for NHL teams. When you need interchangeability of your players, it's tough to have two different missions. And you don't know who's going to be in the lineup. You don't know who's going True. to be sitting in the penalty box, you know, who may, who's maybe not on the bench. You do need a consistent message. But that's where I think you need to evaluate who are your best players. Fox Petrangelo is your best power play player. You need to craft that power play around what he wants. If it's Shea Theodore and it's and it's Alex Petrangelo, then you need to bridge that gap and find what you can get between those two. But again, we're talking about D, and really your power plays are built off of those forward pivots. Think about Tampa with Kucherov on the half wall. Think about Backstrom in Washington. Mm. These elite puck-moving players that can sauce it across everybody, somebody on the backside, they're the ones that you want controlling the play. And that's where the Golden Knights haven't been able to find that magic quotient yet. They don't have that elite playmaker in their lineup. They've still been searching for it. Do you think that could potentially be someone like Nolan Patrick? Do you think, considering how many things are are really put in his favor here, is that who they're hoping he is? It's t- I'm, I'm not sure that that is Nolan Patrick. I mean, we were teammates in Philadelphia when he was playing really good hockey for us. And I thought the creative level of his game was there. I thought he played with pace. And now, Lindsay, you and I talking about it this week, you know, Patrick can be a little bit all over the ice. Yep, he's he overskates a little more, bit. And he's going to have to find more structure. Philly last year wasn't good defensively. That was typical of them. They went too hard. They went too deep. They went deep into the zone where they didn't need to. They came back to the wrong places. You're going to have way more structure under Pete DeBoer. But we're not talking about structure for Nolan Patrick. We're mm-hmm. talking about being able to put the puck in the net and create. And you look at his draft status, it's there. I mean, I believe number two overall, he's got a really high-end skill set, but he's been held back these last couple of years by injury, and he hasn't seemed to find his footing since. I never thought of him as an elite playmaker. I thought of him as a strong playmaker when we were together. I don't know if the next step is there with his time off. He's going to have to find it early because I'm not sure he's high enough on the depth chart yet that he's going to be able to stick there full-time. You'd think there will be a space on the power play, but I'm not sure by a month or two months into the season, if it hasn't come yet, it's still going to be available for Patrick. 
Right, and it's not like that coaching staff has shown the propensity to uh, change things when things aren't going well. It's almost like they double down on the structure. And I feel like that's very indicative of just hockey culture, maybe sports culture in general, but there's so many different ebbs and flows that our sport is going through. And I'm read- I read your article, uh, your, your latest on Daily Face Off today, about the about the dress codes, about the vaccinations uh, choices that players have made because it's just such a different mindset that our little game of hockey has. But I want to highlight what I think your best line in the in in amongst many. And as much as I can't stand the button up, boring, ho hum nature of today's professional hockey players, I do think this is one instance where herd mentality makes sense in more ways than one. Is that essentially what you're outlining for Nolan Patrick that wasn't present in Philadelphia? That that fusion of of culture that here at the Golden Knights. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I'm just trying to connect two things with the with the vaccination rates and how and, and and just the process that it's been. Are you surprised that there are still holdouts and specifically about Mackenzie Blackwood? Because I, I don't know where you go if you're the New Jersey Devils right now. Yeah, I, I you listen, I'm not surprised there's holdouts. That that doesn't surprise me. Um I thought there'd be a couple across the board, but they're 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 making life hard on themselves. Like Mackenzie mm-hmm. Blackwood you know, he, in his interviews and in his media, he's he's try, he said that he's ticking boxes and he's taking some more time to make the decision. And you know, everybody else in the league and in the locker room is going, "How much more time do you need here? Like, what are you going to learn? Like, it, it feels like he's essentially learning for a magic bullet that's going to come along that they're going to figure out you don't have to be vaccinated to be, to be safe or something. You know, and it almost doesn't even matter what. It, literally, right now, Lindsay, it doesn't matter what science is saying in either direction for anything, because the fact of the matter is that if you're not vaccinated in the National Hockey League, you're making things tough on your team, period. Yeah. You are you may not be a distraction, but you can't say that you want your team to win every game when you're not a part of it and you're the starting goalie and you're expected to be in the frame for the Canadian t- Olympic team. Like, he is essentially writing himself out of hockey right now, is my belief. I truly, I believe that about anybody that's unvaccinated is that they're not going to stay in the NHL. Now, it's a, and it is a privilege to play in the NHL. It is not a right. And this is a health issue. This is a decision about somebody's body. Mm-hmm. You can't force it. They can still play in the NHL. They do have restrictions. But, man, it's life is tough. Like, if you don't want to be vaccinated, you better be ready to go do something else. I just think that that's the way it's going. And, you know, the herd mentality, yeah, it was kind of a double entendre there. With, yep, <laughs> you know, that's where I was to... going. It didn't work out super well, but we made the save, okay? It didn't look good. <laughs> right. So, you know, there's a little bit of both there. But I, I think that, you know, across the board, the NHL wants this year to go off without a hitch. They want to make money. They want the players want to make money. They want people in the stands. They don't want COVID to overrun the league again. They don't want outbreaks. Right. And, and the vaccination has proven to be the most effective way to do that, period. And so... Yeah, I, I just can't imagine that, you know. I, I can't imagine that the New Jersey Devils who have said we are helping him in the process, something to that effect. That was just them being really nice and saying he needs to get vaccinated or we're going to have problems. Right, it, it, because they, he's, he's supposed to be the answer. He's supposed to be the guy that Corey Schneider uh, was meant to be, to, to take up the pedestal from, from Brodeur. And, you know, he was even, he's even being mentioned as like, oh, maybe Olympic team consideration. Maybe he, he's going to be in that conversation. Like, 
again, and you said it in the article yourself, like if that's if this is what you want to sacrifice for, more power to you. But it's just it's so counterintuitive to all, all of the lessons and just the the pawns that we all have been engrossed in our entire lives. That you just you do this, you get on board because it's not just about getting the the season to go off without a hitch at this point. Like lots of people have plans to win and win at a high rate. Dare I say a cup? Like it's just you know I I. I I'm just done with that. The whole conversation. Yeah, just think about if that team misses the. Think about if Jersey misses the playoffs by a point. I know people aren't pegging them to be there, but you just right. never know. That's an improved team. Right. They've done some things to improve that team. If they miss out by one or two points, and your starting goalie sitting, he can't even travel to Canada for nine days. The money doesn't even matter. You're right. missing your starting goalie. You know. Yep. I mean, I think everybody in the league would, at this stage of the game, if you were picking goalies. You would choose Mackenzie Blackwood over Jonathan Bernier. Uh, yep. And, yep. You know, maybe Bernier comes in and knocks the door down. But if Bernier doesn't have a lights out season, you're going to look at it and say, we didn't have our starting goalie when we needed him. He, we can't have him on the team any longer. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, and I mean that's a, that's a team like you said is on the rise. I think we a, a lot of people were pegging them as potentially a playoff team in the last couple years. I think if PK Subban's uh, trade works out a little bit better maybe we're in a different conversation but we're just to kind of start wrapping things up here and take a little bit of a longer view what division do you think will be the toughest to compete in this year now that it's realigned mostly the same as we knew it but now Arizona's in the central because Seattle has joined the Pacific yeah I think that the the metro is really going to be tough you know I you look at more than the central I I, I'm not sold on the central right now I (sighs) I know it's going to be really good and I, and I like, listen, you know who I actually really love out of the Central's Winnipeg? I think that team's going to be really, really yeah, good. Yeah, they're, they're scary, I, for sure. I think, that, I think they're undercover good that they brought it. I mean, Nate Schmidt's going to make them a little bit more mobile. He didn't have a great year in Vancouver. But well, Vancouver bring that locker room together. That fractured a little bit at the end with the, with the Shifley um, penalty. That got a little snarly at the end of the playoffs last year. Yeah, but I still look towards the Metro as thinking that's going to be tough. I mean, Hurricanes, Islanders, I mean, Rangers, Penguins, Capitals, the Flyers think that they can contend. Every team in that division thinks they can contend. Mm-hmm. Like, even the Blue Jackets think they can contend. They, they've lost almost everybody. Well, that's so have the Hurricanes. <laughs> yeah. There's so yeah, many the different Canes faces. The, the Canes have Rod the Bod, man. He can that's, do anything. That's but true. The Canes also have... Sebastian Ajo, Taro Taravainen, and they're just sick. Those those guys are sick. So I hate that they gave that. up on Nijelkovic, though. I, I I don't know why they did that. I don't like that either. But I think that the tandem they have of Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta, that's a better. I take either of them over over Mrazek. If it's an actual Ryan. tandem, if Ranta stays healthy, if it's just yeah. if it's just the one guy in front, well, then it's not going to be as good of a tandem. Yeah. So okay. So let's flip back though. The Central Division, absolutely. Um, I, the Coyotes are going to be a doormat. I, I don't even yes. know if they win 10 games this year. I don't think the Blackhawks are going to be hardly any improved. And really? I know that's be, yeah, I don't think so, because you're basically looking at Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury to be the saviors. You know, I know Taves is back, but, I mean, they lost Duncan Keith. They gave up Boquist. They didn't do anything to help their blue line except bring in Jones. You but can't what about Kirby Doc, though? He's back, too. Kirby Doc has a lot of hype around him. Okay. 
but he's still not in the top echelon of centermen. Okay, I believe Kirby Doc is going to be good, but he's not there yet. There's a lot of hoping going on in Chicago. But teams you know that are going to be good, Avalanche, 100%. Blues, yeah, they probably should be. Predators, I don't know. They moved out a lot of talent there. Yeah. I'm not confident. The but Predators you love Soros, good. though. You love Soros. I love Soros, but can Roman Yossi and UC Soros carry a team when they got two boat anchors and Duchesne and Johansson <laughs> making eight mil of hoops? <laughs> two boat anchors. So I don't know. It depends if they decide to skate blood. the whole 200 feet of the ice this year or not. Right. You know, Minnesota. I still like Minnesota. I wonder, I, do too. I wonder what they're going to be. I wonder if they look back at the end of the year, though, and think they don't miss Ryan Suter. That's just a gut feeling. Yeah, that's that's what I uh, talked about earlier this week because there's a goalie ranking, tandems, and the Wilder right in the middle. And Paul's like, oh, which one do you think has the most upward mobility or that could probably put themselves in the upper echelon? I'm like, well, honestly, it probably could be the Wild because when you have Cam Talbot played really strong last year behind a great decor and then uh, the, the Kockinen character is knocking on the door of the, of the Calder race and cooled off towards the end, but... Like you said, with the disruption of Ryan Suter and something I mentioned in that same conversation, that guy's forgotten more about hockey than some than most of us will ever watch in our entire lives. And he he was a top pair defenseman last year. Him and Zach Parise's stories are very, very different. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if they fortified their their blue line to the point where they can relegate all the responsibilities to those lower pairings as well. But man, it it really does boil down to whether or not Kaprizov is able to Maybe not repeat, but to hold to to at least keep writing the legend in the same uh, in the same ink. Yeah, it's Kaprizov for sure. He ignited that sleepy offense, but it's also, I mean, Bill Guerin did everything he could to backfill Suter. He brings in Goligoski, yeah. uh, Goligoski, and well, and Spurgeon's uh, one of the best Johnny, team in the league that nobody talks about. Yeah, you know, and Johnny Merrill comes in, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm forgetting two other defensemen. Brodine, Brodine. Yep, they lost so, Susie. You know, yeah, but they did lose Susie. They lost Cole. They lost Suter. So yep. I just wonder if they're able to reclaim it because D was such a strong point for them. Um, but I like that. And Dallas, though, Dallas to me stacked. Dallas That's what I mean. Dallas is scary because they had that COVID thing at the beginning of camp last year, and then Sagan was out basically all year. And Ben Bishop, I don't even know if he's still a thing. You would know that question much, uh, or the answer to that question much better than I. Well, I, I don't think the goalies even matter in Dallas right now. <laughs> I think it's good enough that. Like, for the regular season. Like, I think they have enough goalies that they'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> They've got four, essentially. Yeah. But, like, Sagan looked really good to me last night. I was watching his his routes on the power play and him wanting the puck again. And, like, he's healthy. He hasn't been healthy in a long time. Oh, he used to zip so, around that offensive zone, and we just haven't seen that uh, from him in the last couple of years. Yeah. So I think Sagan is going to be back on track. I love their young talent, Hints and Garyanov, Jason Robertson. If mm-hmm. Kirill Kaprizov hadn't been lights out to start the year, Jason Robertson might have won the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. Yep. So there's, there's talent, there's vets, there's young guys in Dallas. And the Wisconsin no farm to... boys are all down there, Pavelski and Ryan Suter. <laughs> right. So I think they should be good. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the Central and the Metro, to me, you toss them up. I think those are your two best divisions. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you put the Coyotes in the Metro, then you start looking at the Metro differently. It's just like, well, that's a very, very deep basement that you have there. But somebody's going to have to finish last place in that division. Honestly, I, I, I don't know about the Penguins. It remains to be seen. They've, they've spent a lot of money, but there's a lot of teams in those big-time desperate positions because of the cap space, because of the moves that have uh, needed to be made due to the expansion draft. And it's just a hell of a time to cover hockey and to be a part of this. And uh, I, I have enjoyed our conversation today, as I always do, my friend. As always, 
I'm going to go get these kids from the bus stop. So let's continue this. Let's have another one a couple weeks down the road. What do you say? I uh, I support this. Say hello to those kiddos and to, to the entire St. Louis-based fam. And uh, why don't you plug uh, wherever your fine content is flowing out of these days? Yeah, well, come find me at dailyfaceoff.com. I'll be writing pretty often. I'm going to be doing a streaming show several times a week with Frank Cervelli and Kevin Weeks is involved. Scott Burnside's writing there. Tim Peel, the NHL ref, former NHL referee, is going to be doing stuff. Like we've got some mega talent at Daily Faceoff, uh, and then of course at Mike McKenna fifty six on Twitter and Instagram. And can't out of the bag here, Lindsay. I expect to be in Vegas for All Star Weekend, so oh, hopefully I'll get say. to catch up with some of the Vegas Golden Knights fans. Then we might have to have a crossover event of some kind where people can can come to you, can ask you questions, could ask you to sign a, a, an assortment of items that will only matter to them, but. You always matter to us, and I hope that you have a great rest of the day, my friend. You too. Thanks as always. Talk to you later. See ya. Everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 